Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. The movies this week are Mazes and Monsters from 1982 and Gargoyles from 1972. Run, Forest, run. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. It's not quite trauma, level of trauma, but it's... Yeah, it's, not, not, not in the raunchy way, in the low-quality way. <sighs> just ruined a movie for Brian without even making him watch it. All right. <laughs> Look, I appreciate what Lloyd Kaufman's done, but Jesus Christ, there's just some things I could not sit through. They just, I'm, I'm, it's amazing that if you go through the, uh, like the history of trauma movies, you can, you see the evolution of them going from like sexy movies to, you know, the weird classic trauma stuff mm-hmm. to just driving off a fucking cliff. <laughs> And, and I like that smoldering wreckage at the bottom of that chasm, but <laughs> but I know exactly what it is. There are no illusions. Mm. It's like we should double down on the fart jokes and uh, boobies, and uh, we can sell just about any movie. Yeah, they're they're doing what works for them. Yeah. Well, I've pretty much always said if you want to know the two, like the the division of the phases and what trauma is. You watch Class of Dukem High, which is a bizarre but fucking awesome movie. And then you watch Class of Nukem High Part 2, which is just fucking weird garbage. It's entertaining and there are boobs in it and it's totally worth a watch, but it is not a, a like good movie the way the first one is a good movie. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen the Class of Nukem High movies. Wow, you haven't ever seen the first one? No. Oh, I, I haven't seen it either. That's, like that, a, that's good. That's good trauma. <laughs> like I've seen Toxic Avenger, of course. I've never seen any of the sequels. Uh, I watched the one that we did for this show. Tromeo, Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. Uh, trying to think I've watched anymore. I watched Killer Condom, but that was, mm-hmm. I believe, a pickup, not a uh, original. Monster, Monster in the Closet? You ever seen Monster in the Closet? Mm, yes, but I was like 10, so I don't remember much about it. Terror or Firmer? Uh, I actually own Terror Firmer because a guy I went to high school with his band sold three songs to Troma to be in that movie. Nice. And Lloyd Kaufman paid a dollar for each one. 
So rather than cash the check, he just framed it and put it up on his wall. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I bought it for that reason, but then still have never watched it. Just support I'm, the, I'm trying to think the other ones that are really worth seeing. I think Sergeant Kabuki Man's worth a once over. It's on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my uh, radio TV class in college, a guy did a whole presentation on trauma, which was interesting. Well, the whole trauma thing is very interesting. They've just carved out this little niche for themselves of like, we know we're making garbage. We're doing it on purpose. Everybody who buys our stuff knows what they're getting. But enough people are interested in that. I won't even say like it. I'll just say are interested in it. That they can make profit. So good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that if you speak to Lloyd Kaufman, the idea that they're making a profit is a bit questionable. <laughs> That's typical producer talk, though. None of the no movie has ever made a profit if you ask the producers. Yeah, I do think the profit margin is pretty slim on those, though. Oh yeah. Seemed like I was going to say something. I completely forgot what it was. Where are well, they the, rest start- us were, the rest of us were waiting for it too. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're already starting off on a great foot. Yeah, it's kind of um, your calling card these days: is starting a sentence and then forgetting what you were going to say. Pretty much about halfway through the sentence, I'm just like, well, I completely forgot what that was. So, probably getting like early onset Alzheimer's or something, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Talk about being ahead of the curve, getting early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. The rest of us have to wait till we're old to get it. You get it now. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to the point where we can redo movies on this show, and I'll, I'll think I've seen them for the first time. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to that. I just kind of want to <laughs> fuck with you. No, you said you really like spider movies, Brian. I, I don't know why you insisted on putting so many on the list either. Uh, but like something in this in this comment seems false to me. I don't know. <laughs> um, I did enjoy that we did uh, two TV movies this week, and I'm thinking we need to find some more TV horror to uh, to do. Yeah, from back in the heyday of where. Uh... TV movies were events like back in these days where that was just a legitimate way to get your movie out there because there was no other format. Like it, there, there, it seems to be the ratio of horror movies that are TV movies that are watchable <laughs> is real fucking low. Yeah, I know. But I was shocked because there's one that I remember barely. Um, from when I was younger and then I looked it up and we did it on Drunken Zombie and it's called The People Across the Lake with uh, Major Dad and Valerie Harper and I was flipping through Amazon Prime and it's on Amazon Prime which floored me because most TV movies just disappear if everybody's got Amazon Prime at home check out The People Across the Lake Starts out as just sort of a weird murder mystery and then goes completely bonkers by the end of it. It's just fantastic. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I guess since we're talking about TV movies, Doug, you want to fill everybody in on what uh, Gargoyles is all about? Sure. Uh, 
pretty simple plotline. The uh, basically some anthropologist type and his it's his daughter that he's traveling with for some reason. Because in movies, mm-hmm. people who go on scientific expeditions bring their family. Um, yeah, and sh- she didn't tell her mom about it either. So yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're traveling through the south. They get attacked by gargoyles. At first, people don't want to believe that there are gar- gargoyles, but then they do believe that there are gargoyles. Um, they kind of get to know a couple of the gargoyles, find out that the gargoyles are going to take over the world, and that they get to do so every like 500 years or something like that. Uh, so they kill enough of them off that they uh, can't take over the world, and then they let a couple live so that they can try again later. So, that is that, a very accurate description. description. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the plot of the movie. It's very simple, um, and it spends a lot of time on the lead up to the gargoyles, and then when you meet the gargoyles, and then they're like introduce the idea that hey, it's an actual gargoyle society, and not just these aren't just monsters. Like they can speak and they can read and stuff, and then they kind of gloss over all that stuff and move on to the shooting. <laughs> I will say, the gargoyles are really, really effective until you get a really good look at them gargoyles. <laughs> well, the yeah, the opening scenes where they're, like, driving in their car and the car is being attacked, mm-hmm. those are effective scenes, like, really well made, and they're surprisingly, like, scary for a made-for-TV movie. Like, you don't expect that, because you, you would think a family audience would be sitting down to watch this, and they're they seem darker than you would expect for that. I would say the facial, the facial makeup on the gargoyles, really, really good. Yeah. But then the bodies are weird leotards, where I feel like even in the low quality print that I was watching, you can see way too many B actor penises <laughs> through their weird leotards. I was just going to comment that sometimes when they walk, the leotards kind of bunch up a little, and you can just tell that they're just wearing a bodysuit. But I mean, it's 1972 made for television. If The fact that they put the time and effort they did into the face makeup is phenomenal, I think. I Because I do think the face makeup looks great. Mm-hmm. And I completely successfully diverted away from the B-movie actor penis discussion that Noah started dragging us into. <laughs> now you brought it back! <sighs> I'm just saying, it was like more than once where I was like, ugh! <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I, I think that's on you, man. I think if there's this like horrific-looking monster with giant wings and shit, and you're like, well, I'm gonna start the cock region, then I think that's your fault if you notice something. Listen, it's just like I'm an Aerosmith fan, but Steven Tyler needs to choose his pants better because it's fucking weird sometimes. <laughs> uh, apparently, Stan, apparently, Stan Winston worked on this movie, which I had no idea. Oh, really? Yeah, said he won his first Emmy Award for this movie. That makes sense. I mean, the, I, like, I, I don't think we're giving enough credit to the makeup people who pulled this off on 1972 TV budget. Like, it looks great. The wings actually don't look like they're just wearing a backpack with giant wings on it. At one point, the thing has to flap its wings and to fly, and it looks a little cheesy. But again, like when you consider the medium you're watching, it's way better than I anticipated. Yeah, he's credited with gargoyle makeup. Did did either of you figure out what the main gargoyle's, like, fucking plan was? 
Yeah, they were going to take over the world. They were literally, the plan was to just, like, keep breeding gargoyles until there was enough of them to just take over. But, like, why abduct the girl? Why hang out and, and force her to, like, sit around while he reads her dad's books? What what did that have to fucking do with anything? There, Well, I think part of it is he wanted the books more so than he wanted the girl. But part of it was they, there was a line about trying to study humans so they could defeat them kind of thing. Which is actually similar to the computer from the like two weeks ago or whatever it was. I also apparently uh, did not realize that Rieger was played by Scott Glenn. So I should have paid more attention. Yeah. I noticed his name in the credits but I didn't recognize him and that's because I don't think I knew him from anything until he was very old. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, apparently he was like the main punk guy that, spoiler alert, sets himself on fire later when he's being attacked by gargoyles. Yeah. Hey, sometimes it just happens. (laughs) It happens a lot in movies that we discuss on this podcast. Anybody (laughs) else notice that? A lot of idiots lighting themselves on fire. (laughs) Oh, I'm under attack by something. If I light myself on fire, that'll save the day. I never never thought it was a movie trope, but apparently actually it's a trope of people like, I've got this cascade! Oh, fuck! Oh, I put on myself! It's the only known self-defense against sharks and gargoyles. Now we've established that. <laughs> this is like Jaws in a cave. This isn't like Jaws in a cave, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I found the movie, like, I found everything worked really well on a very simplistic level. Um, but what makes it not Jaws in a cave is that when the time comes for them to like, okay, now we're going to spend some time and go through this and maybe have like a a bit of a discussion about whether these gargoyles have a right to exist and should they be getting killed off. It's like, nah, we're not talking about any of that. <laughs> well, as long as, as long as we leave enough of them to to say there's some of them, it's fine. But we can kill off yeah. the majority of them. It's no big deal. Yeah, those, it feels like that's what they were leading up to with the main gargoyle, where he was like, you know, well, we're just protecting ourselves from you. But then, like, five minutes later, he's like, oh, I will kill you all and take over the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity to kind of have that discussion. Like, what would happen if you did find a sentient group of beings that were just trying to take over the world because they wanted to exist? Um, there's something interesting there that the film just decides not to get into. Uh, I did feel like I was watching like this almost could have been like a movie version of like the Brady Bunch as far as like sometimes the music cues and stuff. I'm just like, that's such a weird choice for what's supposed to be, uh, I guess, a scary movie, but then there's like Brady Bunch cues throughout it for. Really, no reason whatsoever. Well, it's just a product of its time. No, totally. But I kind of feel like this movie dramatically slams back and forth from uh, trying to be like Planet of the Apes and trying to be like Land of the Lost. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that. Especially with the makeup, you know what I mean? Like, you've got this super high-quality Planet of the Apes-esque face makeup, but then weird leotard glove hand <laughs> things going on you know well i i think like a, the leotard thing is just a product of budget 
I, I don't think they were trying to do anything other than be as good as they could be. You don't think they looked like the bad guys from Land of the Lost, though? That what, what the fuck? Sleestacks? The Sleestacks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see the connection. I just think that, you know, it's not like they were attempting that. Yeah. They wanted but, these to be the most realistic looking gargoyles they could find, and then this is what they came up with. <laughs> Doug's saying it was the 70s. That's how everything looked. I just know I was watching the whole movie and I kept thinking, man, they're really, really going for this weird horror Planet of the Apes vibe thing with these intelligent other creatures. You know what I mean? And then it got to the uh, the near climax where the one rides up on a horse, and I was like, "Oh come on! <laughs> where did he get the fucking horse? Like nearby farm." In the interest of fairness, they're in the south. There's horses down there. I, supp I suppose <laughs> the gargoyles have been secretly training a horse, not horses, because they would have used those if they were going into battle. But single horse. <laughs> for this one horse emergency. See above, re-budget. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could only find one guy willing to put on the makeup who knew how to ride a horse. Who knows? <laughs> I think really, I think the only thing the movie suffers from is like it's got these laggy bits where they're not dealing with gargoyle stuff, which feels like your bed? it can be out. Shut your mouth. Why? <laughs> because I just said I liked it, so I wanted to keep it in there. Okay. And and I feel like this movie would be, if, at least for me, I know, I know this won't make sense for most people, but it would benefit from either being a better movie or a worse movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's too good. It's Well, it's like too average. Like... It could be a better movie, which would make it a better movie. But if it were a worse movie, it would still be a better movie. <laughs> because it would be more fun to watch the worst movie. I don't know if I would agree with that one, but we know how that goes. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like it has less rewatch value because this is one that, like, okay, I've seen it. I don't mm -hmm. see a reason for me to ever watch this movie again. And that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It's just there's nothing about it that's particularly engaging that I would need to see it again. Sure, I feel that way about a lot of movies that we do, though. Yeah, that's I'd say the majority. Um, but I actually think this movie does a lot of things right as far as like the tone and everything. I do wish they... You could have edited out like the mandatory run to the cops tell them there's gargoyles, the cops don't believe you stuff, and then just spend more time with the gargoyles. Get mm. to know them better. Because then some of those gargoyle deaths might have mattered, too. Whereas it didn't, it didn't fit. It felt like they were doing the classic, like, mow down, like a army of nothing, of nobody. And instead, if you'd given the, all those gargoyles a little character, it would have been a little bit more heart-wrenching. Mm. Again, I just don't think this movie was interested in walking as close to that line of maybe the gargoyles deserve a chance to live as I wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, they blew up uh, Uncle Willie's shack or whatever. Fuck those gargoyles. Yeah. Another question. When the doctor is making his uh, weird escape through the cave, the female gargoyle, is she helping him escape? 
Is she oh. jealous that the uh, that the head gargoyle looks like he might be getting ready to make sweet sweet love to the daughter? What's what's the female gargoyle's motivation? Because I don't get it. Honestly, I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I yeah. I feel like um, maybe there's something supposed to be there that she's helping, but. Again, I, I, I keep coming back to the same point, though. If they, they wanted to humanize the gargoyles, that was a great way to do it. And I don't think they wanted to go quite that far. So they just kind of ended up with maybe the script originally had them being a little bit more humanized. And then they were like, well, we don't want our whole audience to be sad when they die. So let's edit some of that out. <laughs> Indeed. All in all, it's all right. I'd give it a recommend. Oh, yeah. If you're interested in made-for-TV movies from the 70s, this is one of the better ones. Especially um, made-for-TV monster movies. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. rare. Yeah, those. the idea of one of those actually working on any level is pretty far-fetched when you say it out loud. You're like, yeah. made-for-TV monster Oh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this one, I think it, it was fun to watch. It, like I say, it didn't take itself quite as seriously as I would have liked it to take itself. Um, so, which means I think it's like right for like a remake and somebody to take another shot at it, which could be interesting. Um, but certainly I think you could watch this one with a kid too, like a kid that you're trying to introduce to horror. You'd have them be like, it's just scary enough that they'll hide under a blanket at the beginning, but at the end, the good guys get to win. And it's kind of a home, no harm, no foul type scenario. Nobody whose name you really know is going to die in this movie <laughs> and it's the 70s so there's no uh there's no like follow-up like like when the movie's over it's over there's, oh yeah <laughs> there's no there's no worrying about well how did they clean all this up how do people explain it afterwards yeah like they just flat out shot a bunch of gargoyles like somebody's gonna stumble across gargoyle bodies <laughs> and want to know what the hell happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys find the entire intro to the movie to be pretty fucking useless? Uh, I think it was useless to us, but keeping in mind that it's a TV movie and it's made in a time when, like, there was three channels, so they had to make a movie that was accessible to a wide, wide audience, and most people don't know what a gargoyle is, so. I'm I'm just saying most uh, most of the things you find out in the opening are stated throughout the movie anyway, so they're like things you learn, you know, that they catch every few hundred years, and they're, they're evil-ish, and all this, you know what I mean? All, all the weird religious connotations they have at the beginning to be like, no, they are the army of Lucifer, you know? Yeah. Again, they're just trying to get an audience set up for it. So if you go get a glass of milk and you miss a little dialogue, you don't necessarily lose track of the film. And just, you know, right up front, just saying these are the bad guys, these are the good guys makes a film a little easier to watch for mainstream audiences. I suppose so. It's one step away from putting the gargoyles and black hats and the humans and white hats. Before we move on? Uh, yeah, we're good. So we're all kind of saying this movie's okay, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. it falls right into that category of that's all right. Yeah, 
essentially just just look at the cover art and if and if you're like yeah it looks like something i would watch then that movie is probably for you if you look at it and you're like yeah i probably wouldn't watch that then you probably don't need to watch it yeah like there's nothing groundbreaking in this movie that's gonna drag in people who are like against gargoyle movies or whatever (laughs) all right well i know this is gonna be a rip-roaring good time so noah why don't you tell us about mazes of monsters and then I've also tasked you with explaining the historical significance of this movie and how much nerd rage you're going to have when you get done talking about it. I I know more about the history of this movie than many people. So <laughs> everybody will get to listen to me randomly. And I apologize in advance. Normally, whenever I get like upset about stuff, I'm doing it in a uh, hyperbole-laced my sense of humor kind of way and this one actually just pissed me off so, so it might not be the same yeah when uh doug signed on before noah signed on doug's like i think we're gonna about to get a rant from noah oh my god and i said yeah but that'll probably be funny yeah we'll, we'll get to it so so the movie of mazes and monsters uh based off a book of the same name uh, has Tom Hanks, a few other people. They're basically college students. Tom Hanks is new. They're playing Maces and Monsters, which is, of course, a generic stand-in for Dungeons and Dragons. They which... coerced him into playing, which apparently he's played before, but his mommy does not want him to play anymore. Can I start off by saying that Tom Hanks is in, like, even at this point, is in a league way above everybody else in this movie oh. as oh, far yeah. as acting ability? It's it's so obvious which one of these guys is going to win an Oscar. If you just said somebody in this movie is going to win an Oscar one day, who do you think it'll be? I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll have to uh, skip to this just because I don't want to forget saying this. His acting in this movie is so good compared to everyone else, except for... Towards- I can't remember. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, Tom Hanks, that's bad. That is bad, Tom Hanks. I feel like that was a that was a directing choice. Oh my god! Uh, so friends get together. They start playing Dungeons and Dragons. He starts dating one of the girls. They're all having fun. Find out that one of the friends has some depression issues. Uh, there's an interesting scene of him coming home to his mother having redecorated his room in the most horrifying manner. <laughs> White towel floor. White tile walls, white tile <laughs> ceiling, all white furniture. <laughs> What's upsetting about that? White white appliances. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 fucking Jesus. If if I came home to that, I would be like, no, <laughs> can't live here anymore, parents. Sorry, sorry. Well, he does. He does immediately move off. He's only supposed to be sixteen years old, and he does leave for college. <laughs> like I studied hard just so I could get the hell out of here. Bye. Hilariously enough, once we finish the plot synopsis of the movie, his character is interesting because of the the story that the book's actually based off of. So they get deeper and deeper into the game. Tom Hanks' character starts acting a little squirrely, but everybody's okay with it. They decide to LARP in a cave, which is both cool and fucking dangerous at the same time. (laughs) That's the point. it's a fucking cave, but wandering I mean, around caves is a bad idea. I'm just going to go right ahead and tell you that like me 
any time before I turned 30 would totally have gotten into that cave. Me as, me as like old man, me is kind of like, oh, I don't know. They put boards over the doors. So we probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, boards. like definitely 19 year old me would have been in there with a case of beer and right up until like, right up until like way too old to be playing in caves. I would have done it. So did you, did you have your kid at 30? Is that what, was that what happened? No, no. Oh. <laughs> way later. There's a gradual <laughs> process where I went from guy who would go in cave to guy who's responsible enough to have a kid. <laughs> it took many years. Gotcha. Uh, continue. So, yeah, as the movie continues, uh, we definitely get some indications that there is something seriously wrong with Tom Hanks' character. He's probably <laughs> schizophrenic. Uh, he's becoming more withdrawn withdrawn and more obsessed with his character in the game. Uh, during a Halloween party, he finally has some kind of mental break and walks to New York? Is that what the fuck he did? <laughs> it's not clear how he gets to New York. Yeah. Uh, walks to New York, has some weird run-ins, he stabs a guy who, although he stabs a guy, that guy totally had that fucking stab in his I was so going to say, that's that's totally self-defense at that point. Yeah, yeah he stabs a guy who's trying to mug him. And he pulls the knife and tries to scare the guy away, and the guy doesn't leave. So uh, There's a big manhunt to find him, because they all think he went into the caves and got lost, and there's this whole fucking thing. Uh, the cop is a fucking idiot in making wild fucking assumptions about everything. <laughs> which also ties into real life. We'll get back to that. Uh, finally, he has a moment of clarity. He calls his friends. They come to find him. There's a weird scene of them wandering around New York trying to find him. They find him. Lo and behold, he's gone completely bug shit crazy. We think he's safe, but no, he's off in La La Land and permanently well. Sad ending. Sad face. So, Noah, why don't you tell us about the historical significance of this movie? So, so this all ties into the satanic panic. We're all familiar with that. And there was actually like an extension of the satanic panic, specifically about Dungeons and Dragons. Now, the book Maces and Monsters, there, there's also another book called Hobgoblin written about the same fucking story. Uh, both of them do the same thing, where it's this mentally ill kid plays Dungeons and Dragons and causes him to lose his fucking mind to go bug shit and fucking hurt somebody and all this kind of stuff. The true story is about a kid named James Egbert, who was 16 year old and went to college because he was super fucking smart and he had horrible depression issues and he attempted suicide and uh there were steam tunnels underneath the college, you know, those weird corridors with the pipes that they always show in fucking movies. Apparently mm -hmm. this college actually fucking has those. Which <laughs> is kind of fucking cool. But not for this story. So, he goes down there, he writes a suicide note saying he's going down in the steam tunnels to kill himself. Uh, and he, he does this that. He goes down there, he takes a bunch of drugs, right? He passes out. Well, he wakes up the next fucking day because he didn't take enough drugs and he didn't die. Goes off and he stays with some of his friends and he's kind of hiding out because now everybody found his suicide note and on top of being depressed and suicidal, 
he's now super fucking embarrassed because he even fucked up his suicide. The parents of this kid hire this private investigator, and there ends up being this whole fucking manhunt, called, which is referred to as the steam tunnel incident, <laughs> because they've got 10 billion people down there searching this labyrinth of fucking steam tunnels, trying to find this kid's body. And of course they can't find it. The private investigator learns that he's playing Dungeons and Dragons, immediately jumps to the fact that this is all Dungeons and Dragons, right? Doesn't know anything about the kid, doesn't know anything about what the fuck's going on. It's gotta be this one fucking game this kid has one fucking book for in his goddamn bedroom. So, James Egbert is eventually found, right? And they write a bunch of books about him and all this kind of stuff, and once again, these authors jump on the investigators thing saying once again it was the game the, the game is what drove this kid nuts even though they found the kid it wasn't the game he has fucking depression he needed help uh the good news is uh one year later uh so that happened in 1979 that kid gets a gun and fucking blows his brains out after this fucking book comes out so yippee fucking skippy for those motherfuckers writing these goddamn books. And thus starts an entire avalanche of bullshit. Uh, and an organization was founded called BAD, which is bothered. <laughs> or, or it's what is it? It's like bothered against Dungeons and Dragons or something fucking stupid like that. Who their entire argument is that Dungeons and Dragons causes suicide. No joke, they, they just say it. Like, you play Dungeons and Dragons, you're gonna go fucking blow your brains out. Like, despite the fact that 10 million people are playing the game and not blowing their fucking brains out. That goes on, this stupid fucking street preacher asshole gets involved. He starts a whole fucking thing. Uh, one of the best things is that when they went to Congress to try to get like laws and shit passed to restrict Dungeons and Dragons, you know, because they were fucking trying to do that with metal music and everything else, mm -hmm. one of the things they cited is the suicide note. Not the real suicide note, but the fictional fucking suicide note in the fictional fucking book written about this kid that made him blow his fucking brains out. So all these fucking people are terrible. I hate them all. They all fucking deserve to die. Everybody involved in it. <laughs> so it sounds like you're against the uh, the the bad mouthing of Dungeons and Dragons. No, I'm. Here's the thing: people can bad mouth shit if they want to. I am against the the absolute fucking raping of some poor kid's misfortune for a bunch of delusional fucking hyper-evangelical fucktards to come in and fucking just, you know, use this kid's blood to literally just rub on their fucking nipples and masturbate to how great they are trying to champion against something that hasn't ever fucking hurt anybody. So tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, now do it again without all the sugar coating. <laughs> uh, uh, can, can I? Can we talk about the movie now? Or sure. So I just want to point out that I think the movie strongly agrees with a lot of what you just said. 
the reputation of this movie is that it vilifies Dungeons and Dragons, but I think, I think when it you goes when, back and forth, I think I think when you watch the movie though, it all all four of the main characters go to go to the game specifically because they're being neglected by their parents who don't give a shit about them, right? All four of them are coming from these terrible homes where moms redecorate your bedroom and your dad marries girls that are too young and doesn't want to talk to you anymore. And I forget what the other one did, but you know, like it's made really clear that these kids are all feeling like neglected. They all find this game that makes them feel like they're part of something and it makes them all happy for a while. And the only one that has any negative consequences from it is the guy who's already clearly mentally disturbed at the beginning of the movie. And it all stems back to, it's made clear, like it all stems back to the loss of his brother. Um, and his parents, instead of dealing with that, tell him he's not allowed to play the game anymore, which is not a solution to the problem of like, I'm, I'm sad because I, my brother went missing and I am having these like nightmares on a regular basis about it. And it's fucking me up. Okay. Well don't play dungeons and dragons anymore is the parents response, which clearly doesn't help. Um, and then to make matters worse, when Tom Hanks' character does go missing, it's all of the adults' bad attitude towards Dungeons & Dragons that make the situation exponentially worse because these kids are like, if we tell our parents we're playing Dungeons & Dragons, we'll get kicked out of college. Um, so we have to lie and say we've never done that or we you know, don't play it very often or whatever. And it makes it much harder to find and help the person who clearly needs help. Meanwhile, you've got all the, much like you said in the real world, what did happen, you've got all these reporters and fucking cops and stuff who are really eager to blame it on the game. And so it's like, I think this movie is making the point that, you know, the game wasn't the problem. It was never the problem for Tom Hanks' character, even though we're sort of told at the beginning of the movie that he left his previous college because of an obsession with this game where it's made really clear by the end and even his parents actually come right out and say it like that wasn't the problem like he's got mental issues that need to be addressed and we've been hiding from them and not addressing them and that's what caused the trouble in this movie so i think the movie is actually like pro dungeons and dragons or mazes and monsters because they don't want to pay for the copyright i think it actually comes out on on the side that probably all of us are on which is that if kids just want to play a game so that they can feel like they're part of a group with their friends that they should just be allowed to do that i think it sends mis mixed messages because like you know the beginning of the movies you know all the cops at the the caves being like oh what's going on oh it's got to do with this game you know yeah but i and, think it's i think i feel like there's a lot of it vilifying the game at the beginning of the movie and then i think toward the end of the movie it's clearly about his mental illness but i think that's the point of the movie i think at the beginning we've got these cops and these reporters who are traditionally trusted narrators in film right and so we have them telling us that it's the game and then the movie tells us the whole story and lets us know that it's not the game that those people are wrong and that those people we shouldn't be listening to the police or the reporters or the parents or whoever else is telling you it's the game's fault. So I think that's that's the whole point of the movie is it drags you in and says, hey, look, look what happened to these kids. Something terrible has happened because they played this game. And then you watch the movie and you're, 
when you get the whole story, you're like, oh, well, that's not the story I was expecting. I was expecting a story about a kid that just gradually got more and more obsessed with this game. But what I get is a story about a kid who's got these real deep-seated problems that are explained to us in no uncertain terms, and that the game is his way of hiding from the world, and it's people's refusal to help him with his real problems that cause him to go into this paranoia or whatever you call it. Can, can we talk about the one incredibly positive moment of this movie? And that is, at the end, whenever they go to New York to find him, they go to uh, the the uh, stand-in of the real character, which that's what I was saying, the younger guy is supposed to be the Egbert character who's okay. killing himself. In which, once again, the book chooses to completely ignore his actual story in favor of this grandiose bullshit. But, uh, but when they go to his house, they go into his bedroom, which once again at the beginning of the movie we saw he had been gone and his mother had turned it into that weird sterile hell. Yeah. Uh, they walk in and not only is it like redecorated, but she took into account what he wanted. Yeah. And like made him this great space, like with even with like a place to play the game and chairs and you know, his, his type of decorations and stuff. And I, I just feel like it's it's beautiful because at the beginning of the movie, whenever they're having the argument about the room, he, he even tells her that when you do things like this, it feels like you're trying to erase me. You know? Yeah. Which is just a weird... And it's such a random moment in the film that I feel like there isn't a lot of attention drawn to, but it's the one fucking positive thing where the parent actually hears what the kid was telling them and attempts to make a change. Well, I think that there's, uh, again, the messaging being you need good parents. Not It doesn't matter what game you play. I think you've got the... So the girl, who's relatively normal, but she likes to play this game with these weird guys. <laughs> she, she's got the, the dad who's got the problems. But we find out about those problems through her conversation with her mom, who she clearly has a strong one relationship with with the younger guy he has the issues with his mom those kind of get resolved in a very haphazard way by her actually redecorating his room back to the way she thinks he would want it rather than trying to force him to be something he's not then you get when you get to tom hanks's character it's like there is no redeeming quality in that family unit the brother ran off for reasons we're not really sure the dad is just constantly yelling at his kid. He clearly, I, I think I get the impression he cares about his kid, but he just doesn't know how to be a dad, really. He just, you know, yeah. he, just, he doesn't understand how to deal with the issues. that, And the mom has resorted to drinking, which I assume is supposed to be because one son's gone missing and the other one's all fucked up, and she doesn't know what else to do. So I think that that's intentional. Again, it's all it's all part of the, the storyline of these people coming around to the fact that they need to deal with their kids' mental problems and that the parents who are at least attempting to address their kids' concerns are getting much better results than the parents who are just trying to brush them under the rug and blame the game. Yeah. <laughs> I was assuming that by the end of their year, that my mic had cut out or something. <laughs> what am I doing here? I can't remember. Yeah. I, do, I do like that they, they do have the other players at some point when they are questioning if he's gone off the rails and has got too involved in his character. Everybody's like, nah, I mean, come on, it's just a game. 
Like, he's smarter than that. Yeah. So even those characters know, like, it's just a game. It's not to be taken seriously, but old crazy Tom Hanks can differentiate between the real world and his character. Yeah. I think, I think my favorite part of the entire movie is whenever uh, Tom Hanks is having his second freak out and he kind of gets lost down in the sub sewers mm-hmm. and comes across that guy and he's like, <laughs> ah, who are you? And, you know, of course he says his D&D name and then the guy's like, oh, well, I'm the king of France. And he's like, oh, your majesty. <laughs> that was a, that was a very fun moment because they have a whole conversation and they're like there's trains rumbling and he's like what is that in the distance and he's like ah oh, don't go over there they don't like it when you're over there and he's like thank you for he uh, shall heed your warning or something and i'm like, he's like kind oh, of awesome. you're so wise <laughs> uh, how good? long did it take you guys to figure out that tom hanks was going to the uh the Twin Towers and that it wasn't just a uh, reference to Lord of the Rings. It's forever I'm just like, but they, they just stole the, the two towers from Lord of the Rings? Like, they just, they're just using that in their movie? And then when it turns out to be plot relevant, I'm like, oh, I see. <laughs> I didn't realize it right away, but they do mention, like, two towers? That's Tolkien. And they're trying to figure it out, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, of course. And then part of me is like, too soon, too soon. <laughs> too soon, like 20 years earlier. It's, it's weird seeing them actually like go through the lobby and stuff. You're like, oh. uh, and then he's going to jump off the top, which makes it even worse. <sighs> Made ourselves right. sad in this very sad movie. I'm not really, not really sad about that. I'm still sad about the movie. <laughs> makes you feel better. So, uh, so did we enjoy? I actually enjoyed this movie, um, taking it for for what it is, which is a made-for-TV movie with Tom Hanks in it. Um, but yeah, I sort of I enjoyed it. Uh, what did you guys know? Know as a gigantic fan of it, so how did you feel, Noah? Well, here here's the thing: I don't hate the movie as as a movie. I hate the movie for what it was a part of. If that yeah. makes. Like it's it's a piece of art, and art can't help but get tied into all these issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so I hate what it represents. The movie itself is it's it's fine, and and even like Doug says, I don't think the movie is overtly attempting to blame the game, mm-hmm. the way that some of the other stuff most certainly did. The book the book is a lot more blame the game. And it's a bestseller, so she made a bunch of money off that kid's blood. Fucking bitch. (laughs) Now, don't hold anything back. Tell us how you really think about it. Oh, I hate it. Oh, it makes me so angry. (laughs) That poor kid. That kid needed fucking help, and nobody helped him. They wrote a bunch of fucking books. Well, I mean, the whole... I mean, I, I don't know how well you guys remember the 80s, but the whole satanic panic thing, where first it was... uh, Dungeons and Dragons, for a while it was heavy metal music, it was all the different stuff that they were blaming all of society's ills on, and it was just I remember, like, I even remember being like a kid and like, there was like a dead cat in the park, and all the neighborhood kids thought there was like a cult sacrificing animals, and our parents bought into it and would like tell us not to go to that park after dark mm-hmm. and everything, and it's like in retrospect, probably 
some other animal killed that cat. Like that's probably all that happened. And you know, like I'm, that's sad if you're the owner of that cat, but it shouldn't affect the rest of society very much. But people were just so ready and willing to buy into that panic at that time. So I actually, I commend this film for doing what I think it's doing, which is taking a bold stance against that. And it's, it's way ahead of its time before anybody else would be saying, wow, this was ridiculous and laughing it off. Um, like society was way behind this movie came to that. So I have a great deal of respect for the movie for that. I don't know the book, so I can't comment as to what that is. Um, as far as whether it's a good movie, I think it's way better than I expected. Um, I was real nervous in the first like 15 minutes or whatever it is where they're introducing the characters and we're getting a glimpse of each of their home lives. That felt an awful lot like a very special episode of whatever sitcom we were watching. And I was like, uh oh, if it's an hour and a half of this, I'm going to be in trouble. Those guys are going to yell at me for making them, making them watch it. But it turned out to be. Like, I was going to call it, it, I was going to call it very after school, specially. Yeah. Once they all get to the college, I feel like it really took a step up in quality. And that's where it became about these four friends. And I thought all those relationships were very interesting and worked pretty well. Um, so I thought that was good. I thought it was interesting the way that, okay, so Tom Hanks gets brought in by this girl and then they eventually break up and she's dating one of the other guys. And then there's like, they took the time to have like the fourth guy be like, feel left out because he's like the only one who's not part of their weird triangle it, I thought that was like good I thought they felt like real human beings and real like college kids which was interesting I thought, I thought it was interesting for I mean this was like what like 82 something like that yeah that they just insinuate that Tom Hanks and her are sleeping together and it's not a big deal no it's just for, yeah for TV for like a TV movie I find that interesting the, yeah, it's just college kids, and it's like, yeah, whatever. Well, it it's one of those things where there was this sort of unwritten rule in society that we pretended that young people didn't have sex until, like, I don't know, 2000 or something, when we finally were like, oh, like, yeah, kids in high school and college are having sex with one another. We should probably address that in the, uh, the art forms that are aimed at these people, because it's just a lie otherwise. And this movie, again, like I think it's way ahead of its time. I think the view this movie takes of the satanic panic and of kids in college is something you would expect to see now, where it's sort of like pointing out the problems with the adult world and the way it approaches its youth. Um, but I don't think that that was common at the time. So I, I was I was really happy I watched this movie. Not at all what I thought I was getting into, or what I thought I was dragging you guys into. Yeah, you thought everybody was going to get possessed, and it just turns out Tom Hanks has a mental problem. Well, no, I, I thought Tom Hanks was going to have a mental problem and hurt his friends. That's what that's where I anticipated yeah. this going. Um, Honestly, when they were when they started doing the game in the cave, yep, and the dragon thing came out, yep, uh, I thought for sure that we were going to find out that that was like the the young kid dressed up. That's where I thought this was going to. And then, yeah, Tom Hanks, like, freaks out and stabs him. And then it's like, hey, man, why'd you do that? That was so-and-so. He was just doing the thing. And it'd be like, see? Kids get hurt when they play Dungeons & Dragons. I figured yeah. that's, like, that's where we're going. But it was actually a lot more cerebral, which I was shocked by. The, 
part of the interesting there, there's a weird thing with that too so there's actually a second steam tunnel incident <laughs> okay. that, that takes place in the future from the perspective of this movie so uh i think it was in 88 uh there was a weird thing involving like a kid murdering his stepdad and a few of his friends were involved and it was all some kind of weird thing where they thought they were going to kill his stepdad and get the thing, right? And over the course of the investigation, they find out that these kids have a map of the steam tunnels underneath the college. And the reason why they had that map is because they played Dungeons and Dragons, and they were they mapped the steam tunnels in order to use the steam tunnels in their game as a map. And then there, of course, from that there spawned extra rumors that they were down there basically doing what they were doing in this movie, which would now be called LARPing mm -hmm. down there in the tunnels. And it spurred off all these fucking urban legends about you know people going down there and LARPing and one of them accidentally kills the other one or, you know, they go down there and they kill him and they hide the body and it, it, just 10 billion bullshit stories that people 100% believe are true, which all, all spawned off. And, and, and the weird thing is rewatching the movie. Now I almost think that maybe some of those urban legends are fucking, you know, life trying to mimic uh, fantasy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There's all sorts of these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of remember the whole, like, Dungeons & Dragons is bad, but I don't, like, since I've never played Dungeons & Dragons, I was never really interested in it. So I guess I just sort of ignored it and didn't even pay attention. Yeah, most of it, that, that organization bad they did so much fucking damage because, you know, they, they were the ones going around to churches and getting preachers to tell all the congregations that don't let, don't let your fucking kids play it because they'll get possessed by demons. Mm -hmm. You know, God, God forbid, you know, there's, and they're still doing this bullshit with like Harry Potter. And, yeah. you know, oh, don't, don't read the books. They'll teach your kids fucking bad Latin pronunciation. <laughs> well, this is like, it's the McCarthyism of modern times mm -hmm. is to pick like Dungeons and Dragons, heavy metal music, rap music, whatever, mm -hmm. and kind of demonize it this way, and then try to like you know, and, and make no mistake about it. Like there was, well, I mean, the West Memphis Three case is a very famous example of kids that went to jail for wearing T-shirts um, and kind of being assholes, I guess. Um, and then you know there was uh, the daycare situation, the McMartin know. preschool. The ones that like these guys the went to jail because they were sacrificed. Uh, trial in American history up to that point, which and ended up no one got charged with anything because nothing happened. Like nothing it's happened. <laughs> yeah, like and you know these are all the results of this weird attitude that people have where they can't tell the difference between real and fake. <laughs> you know, which which the best thing is is that that is the core problem of the issue. And that's exactly what they're accusing kids of. Oh yeah, the kids yeah. can't play the game because they can't tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. Now, don't play this game because you'll get possessed by supernatural demons from another yeah. world. Yeah, if us adults can't tell what's real and what's fake, how could the kids possibly know? <laughs> it's 
it's fucking ludicrous though and it, it's like you said with people protesting harry potter and it's like it's they're fucking children's books that are designed to be in a fantasy world why would you have a problem with that unless you don't know the difference between fantasy and reality <sighs> because some people believe in the magic guy, magic man in the sky that apparently would let demons possess you because you played a fake game. Oh. It's fucking weird. It's the whole concept that that people think, you know, reading fantasy stuff is going to somehow <laughs> other than the fact that it might clue you into the fact that some of the religious stuff is clearly designed fantasy stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know what the threat of it is, really. Again, going, getting back to the movie, kudos to them for pointing out <laughs> that it was nonsense. Because when you compare it to other movies we've talked about in the podcast, or at least in the previous version, of the, like we did Trick or Treat, the 86 version, mm. and it was... It took the whole, like, oh, you play your records back and there's a satanic message in there. And it went, let's make that into a horror movie and let's not have it be ridiculous that parents would believe that. Let's make it real and kind of feed into the paranoia. Mm. So, I don't know. Uh, I was super happy that this movie took the stance it did. <laughs> it's not bad. You know what the weird thing is, though? People still used this movie as justification. Well, people are idiots, right? Their kids not play the game, you know. Look at what happened to him. He stabbed someone. You know. You'll have a mental schism too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, for our listeners, for bonus entertainment, uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of satanic panic stuff that's actually pretty fun to look into. <laughs> the McMartin preschool stuff. There are a bunch of uh, like true crime podcasts and stuff they've done shows about that. I do believe my favorite murderer even did one. Uh, I know people like those podcasts, and it's it's just the fat shittest crazy story you've ever heard in your entire life. Basically, one mentally ill woman said Satan made this guy touch my boy's penis, and it spawned a nearly decade long court case, which is just fucking madness. You should also look up training videos for satanic ritual crimes because they exist and they're hilarious. Uh, you know what else you should look up is actual Satanism because you'll realize it's just goth guys trying to get laid. That's all it ends up being. It's kind of it's kind of funny when you break down to it. That's kind of all it turns into me. Right. Goth guys trying to get laid or... Uh, weird political activists who are just basically trying to ram Christian stuff back up Christian's buttholes. Yeah. Which is pretty funny. So I'll, I dig it. I like their Baphomet statues that they like to slap next to Ten Commandment statues. Oh, I don't know. They're suing uh, Netflix right now. Yeah, for using their Baphomet image. Yeah, really? for using a statue that looks like their Church of Satan statue. Yeah, I thought that was a little reckless over it. That seems weird to me. Yeah. I don't know how long it takes religious symbols to fall into the public domain. <laughs> it's awfully strange. Uh, all right, do we need a break from the one? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. All right, once again, no feedback this week. Y'all suck. <laughs> That's, we're no longer asking for feedback. We're chiding people for not yeah. sending it in. 
Next, next week for feedback, send in stuff about your own satanic panic stories. Did anybody else have? Oh yeah, when they were a child. My grandma, no, no joke. Whenever I started getting into Dungeons and Dragons, my grandma told my parents not to let me have that stuff because I would get possessed by a demon. Mm. I had a couple of those. Um, so my family told me they never really say anything about Dungeons and Dragons. But they told me not to mess with Ouija boards. And I did point out, but it's by the same company that sells Monopoly. <laughs> and they didn't really have an answer for that. Uh, and then also, my friend's mom was so Sorry. religious. She was so religious that he was not allowed to watch Smurfs because they use magic. That's, that's fucking crazy. Because I know someone whose parents told them the same thing. Yeah? Yeah, that's fucking weird. I thought he was the only one. I was like, I've never heard somebody go out with the Smurfs. <laughs> They're so innocuous. Was his name Ryan? Uh, I'm trying to remember what his name is because it was my friend Andrew Hildebrandt's cousin. Hmm. I like this yeah. idea that you guys knew the same kid and you don't know it until just now. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, it's possible. Okay, I'm on my friend Ryan's page. Let's see. Andrew? Is that what you said? It, it, yeah, Andrew Hiltebrand. <laughs> nope, no Andrew showing up. No. So either they hate each other or it's different people. Well, maybe Andrew's from the side of the family that told him not to watch the Smurfs and they never <laughs> got past it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he wasn't allowed to watch Smurfs. And then also, of course, his mom was our Sunday school teacher. And we were having some sort of youth event. And we were supposed to, like, mini-golf or something, but it started to rain, so we couldn't. And so we were trying to think, like, well, maybe there's, like, a movie or something we could go see. And I suggested, I suggested, hey, that Disney movie, Hocus Pocus, is out. And they were like, nope, they're witches. Can't do that. And I'm just like, really? But I've already seen it. Were your parents crazy and not let you play with demonic stuff, Doug? No, my parents were in on the heavy metal one, though. They would they would come in and say, like, oh, that stuff's terrible for you. And so I went through a stage where I was, like, 13 or 14 where I'd, like, I'd bring them lyric sheets and I'd read them to them without the music playing and trying to, I'd be like, that's what it says. like. And they, they would always be like, well, it probably means this. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I listen to this band all the time, and I think I know what they mean more than you do. So explain to me what's wrong with this. It's right. And they would eventually tell me to go away. <laughs> so then I, I just go back to my room. You're like, more music. This, this is Sabaton, and they're describing a very complex military maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tired of Doug coming in and talking to us about music. Just tell him to listen to whatever and leave us alone. <laughs> Eventually, that was my dad's view of it. He's like, are you getting into a lot of trouble? No? Then then, then go over there. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, alright. Did anybody watch anything since last week? Uh, I started re-watching uh, Dead Like Me. Alright. 
still pretty good. <laughs> it holds up pretty well. I didn't think it would. Uh, is that the one where everybody dies and they sort of become Grim Reapers? Yeah, yeah, where you be random people are become Grim Reapers if the person who uh, took your soul retires, basically. Yeah. I remember liking the first like two-hour movie that set it up and then thinking that the rest of it, they like slashed the budget on it or something. But it's been like forever since I've seen it, so I can't tell you. Yeah. Like I said, it's alright. It's mostly just... I, I feel like the funny parts are really, really funny, and they should have stuck with that, and that the sentimental parts don't play very well. Like, it's almost, to compare it to something like Scrubs, where you know Scrubs is funny all the time, and then all of a sudden it gets serious and you want to cry. Yeah. This, this show does not do that. It, like, tries to get serious, and you just kind of go, ah, shut the fuck up, I just want to see something funny again. <laughs> I want to see another person die in a hilarious, hilarious way. I think that was the appeal of the show to me when it was new. I would just want to watch the deaths, and then I would get really bored whenever anybody talked about anything. <laughs> so, again, that was whenever that show was new, so I can't really comment on it. Yeah, I watched it back in the day when it's like, well, I don't have whatever cable channel this is on. So I just have to wait till the DVDs come out and then buy those. Oh. And so I bought the first season. And I don't think I ever made it all the way through. Like I said, I enjoyed the beginning of it. And then just kind of, I don't know, got bored with it, I guess. Yeah, some, some of the characters get real fucking obnoxious real fast. Mm. And they do this whole thing where they keep following the mom and little sister even though that kind of has nothing to fucking do with anything other than processing grief over death. But the mom's just a terrible parent, and the little girl's fucking weird, and you don't care about either of them. It's like, hey, stop putting a message in this show. Show me more people dying. Well, it would be one thing if the message was like, you know, this is a healthy way to do things. Instead, it's like the mom's like, your sister died, and no one gives a shit, you little bitch. And she's like, I'm going to act out now. And you're like, I don't fucking care. Just one of you kill the other one. Like, <laughs> something entertaining. I don't, I don't care. Anything but you being you. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. But I watched that, uh, and then I... <laughs> somebody posted something random about uh, an article about the CW bitching about how they like the Richard Donner version of Superman or something like that. Oh. I can't remember what the context of that was. That was but I, I was like, fuck those people. I love the Richard Donner Superman, so I watch Superman. Which cut did you watch? Just to spite them. Which cut did you watch? Uh, I think it's just the theatrical cut. Because yeah. I have, like, the, uh, the box set. Mm -hmm. I do, too, and that has, like, a lot of director's cut. Now they just put out like a three-hour cut of it that I bought on Voodoo, but I haven't watched it. I think it's like the one they showed on TV that adds like a bunch of other stuff in to make it like a super special event or whatever. I don't know. I don't recall that one. I don't think I've seen it. I have to look into that. Yeah. So I watched. I watched Superman one. It's still awesome. It's cheesy. 
but I, I feel like it's appropriately cheesy mm -hmm. with what they were going for because they kind of wanted to give Superman that Silver Age Superman feel. Yeah, and I still say that Christopher Reeve's the only believable person for me that makes Clark Kent and Superman actually seem like different people. I think yeah. so part of that is the tone of the movie is ludicrous, so you kind of just accept it. But I think every other version of Superman has tried to be a little bit more serious, and then you're like, well, now now the, the whole glasses question comes up, and you're like, ah, well, your movie's just serious enough where I have to ask that question, and it doesn't ever hold up. I don't know. I always feel like he he stands differently. He has a different, completely different personality, of course. But I feel like physically, he's just a little bit different. Now, still, Christopher Reeve was a huge man. So yeah. there would be no question. Well, it's not, not just that. Person, but he actually makes an effort to look different than Superman, other than just putting glasses on. Not enough of an effort that he can interact with people who are on a first-name basis with both Superman and Clark Kent. <laughs> like, that, that's where it gets ridiculous. It's not like the public not knowing. It's the people that he works with not knowing. The, the reporter who he works with who's writing a story and interviewing him at the same time as he's supposed to be like on a date with her at one point, so he has to come and go out the window. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Uh, that might not work, but... <laughs> In, in one of the comic books, they explain this whole weird thing of uh, Superman, whenever he's in Clark Kent mode, has mastered this art of like weird posture that he's in all the time. So that uh, Clark Kent... All-Star all -star Superman? Say what? Is it I, I can't remember which one it is. The but, Grant Morrison one? Yeah, but it's something about... Clark Kent is actually like three or four inches shorter than Superman is, which is one of the things that throws everybody off because that's a pretty big fucking difference of height. Yeah, there's like a concept art that shows like how he slumps his spine internally. Yeah. So that he looks shorter and stuff. Yeah. yeah which is actually, I was like, that is fucking interesting because you'd be like, man, that looks a lot like him, but he is like fucking four inches taller. That can't be the same guy. I love how they're just trying to explain away like geek rage and it just it, it accidentally generates different versions of it like oh now we'll overanalyze this that's what we'll do right did you ever did either one of you ever see the Donner cut of part two uh I think I have yeah I seem to recall watching it like when it came out but is that I, is that the one where he actually kills Zod instead of uh just crippling mm. him and no, he still killed him originally. Rose yeah, yeah, him into a No, in the Donner cut, which makes way more sense, since we're talking about the the tone of the first movie or whatever. Um, so the Donner cut has a completely different setup for how Lois Lane finds out that he's Superman. Where <laughs> she's literally just at work one day, looking at Clark, standing talking to somebody looks down at the paper that has a picture of Superman on it, looks back up at Clark, back down at the paper, back up at Clark, grabs a Sharpie and draws glasses and a hat on the Superman picture. Awesome. And she's like, oh. She's like, he's totally Superman. <laughs> and then when he won't, like, tell her, like, he keeps saying, like, no, 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 you're mistaken. Yeah, Lois, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. She sets up a scenario where he comes to her house to pick her up for some news event 
And she keeps telling him, like, I know you're Superman. You can tell me. And he's like, you're being ridiculous. So she fucking pulls out a gun and is like, look, you're Superman. I'm going to shoot you. And this bullet's going to bounce right up. But like, you're Superman. I know you're Superman. And he's like freaking out. And he's like, Lois, Lois, no, you're being crazy. So then she pulls the trigger and shoots him. And he just stops and stares at her. And he's like, Lois, if Clark Kent was a real man standing before you, he would be dead right now. And then she looks at him and smiles and is like, not with blanks in the gun. And it's sort of one of those that's just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Lois Lane, you sneaky bitch. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love the Donner Cut. It makes me angry that we didn't get the Donner Cut for the theatrical version, but... Uh. <sighs> What I also like about that is it seems like in The Crow, when Ernie Hudson's character figures out who Eric Draven is, they kind of stole that. <laughs> and then again, in Unbreakable, when the kid pulls the gun on uh, Bruce Willis's character, they're, they're also paying tribute to this thing that maybe those directors and writers had never seen. <laughs> kind of like, look, we had this idea. Oh, somebody had it 25 or 30 years before us, but they just wouldn't let him put it in a movie back then. Yeah, I feel like it's so much better. Like, there's a whole subplot where, uh, so, I mean, they still have the subplot of Superman wants to give up his powers so he can be with Lois or whatever. But they actually still have uh, Marlon Brando in this movie because they took him out to save money or whatever. Uh, but he's telling his father that he wants to give up his powers, and his dad keeps telling him that he can't. He's like, no, you can't. You have to these people you have to do this you have to do that and superman gets mad and he's just like why do i have to do everything for everybody else why can't i just be happy and like basically just gets angry at his father and basically tells him fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway go to my room <laughs> i do sort of feel though like that that is not inconsistent with some of the superman comics like there's been so many now that i'm sure people can contradict this but mm -hmm. In some cases, like there is the Superman that's like, okay, I get it. My job is to help people, but fucking, when am I done? Like, yeah. and you know, like I think even like the Kingdom Come version of Superman is like living off on his own, separate from society at some point because he's just like, fuck this. Like I've done enough for you people. I'm over it. I'll be over here now. Yeah. Yeah, so highly recommend. If, uh, not that I've watched it or anything, but if you get a chance to watch the Donner Cut of Superman 2, do it. It's much better. And then I had time to watch one more Superman movie. Uh, so I watched four. Uh, <laughs> couldn't even at least go with Richard Pryor. You had to go four? Just nuclear Man. Oh, so bad. It is gloriously bad. <laughs> I have not seen that movie since I was a small child and I will not watch it because my little kid version of me liked it and now I'm reasonably confident it's terrible and I don't want to ruin my illusions so I just don't watch it. Well, and I think that that might be the saving grace of 4. Like, I think they accepted that it was a kid's movie and, and it just is. Like, 4 is a kid's movie. The rest of them aren't. They're, I mean... They're family movies, so like anyone can watch them. But but four is a fucking kids movie. It is a cartoon, come to life version of Superman. 
I mean, he gets punched into the ground at one point. He literally gets hammered into the ground like a tennis bike. Oh, yeah. Forgot that <laughs> happened. Yeah. Doesn't Nuclear Man use his powers to make John Cryer breakdance at some point in that movie? Am I making that up? That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that we don't know, but it's like, this sounds like this movie. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if that... I just watched it, and I'm trying to remember if that happens. I think I was so uh, bleary from <laughs> watching three Superman movies that my brain quit registering things. At least Superman 3 had evil Superman. Yeah. <laughs> I loved Superman 3 when I was young, too. I, was, I used to watch that one probably the most of all of them. Mm-hmm. I loved it when Richard Pryor gets that other guy drunk so that he can <laughs> steal shit. <laughs> no, he does it so he can break into the computer system and make the uh, the little red walking man and green walking man fight. <laughs> the weird, I like most of it, the weird robo shit toward the end. Why, just because that comes out of nowhere and there's just robo shit all of a sudden? It does. It comes way out of left field. That scared the shit out of me when I was little. It, it, it is pretty horror movie movie-ish. The fucking lady gets all that shit attached to her face and becomes like a monster. Yeah. Uh, They're in the Grand Canyon when that happens, if memory serves correctly. How ridiculous is that? I don't know if you guys know, Wes Craven almost directed Superman 4. Oh, I wish. But uh, Christopher Reeve had director approval and then Swamp Thing came out. And he's like, yeah, no, this guy will not be directing my Superman movie. But they still did get, because there are parts of Superman 4 where the guy has like claws in his fingers and scratches Superman up. Yeah. So there's a little Wes Craven influence in there <laughs> after all. I think I think Christopher Reeves, just nobody told him who Cannon was. <laughs> like, like Cannon got the rights and they were like, we're making another Superman movie. He's like, oh, sweet. Canon, never well, heard of them before. I think if if you look at the story, it's like a lot of the anti-nuclear message that's in that movie mm-hmm. was Christopher Reeve wanted that in a Superman yeah. movie, and having Canon make it was like the only way to get it done. Like big studios didn't want to go that route. From what I remember, it was part of a deal because he didn't even want to do another Superman movie, but he uh, they were going to finance another movie that he really wanted to do, and then he had to do Superman 4 anti-nuclear message. Yeah, that all sounds right. Stupid fucking Hollywood. <laughs> that is the only Superman movie out of the original four that I saw in the theater. Perfect. <laughs> no, it's not. What's hilarious to you, though, is that you still, li- you still like all the other ones. So you saw that in theaters and went, oh, all right. I'm down. I'm down with this character. Well, I had seen the other ones already. Okay. I, I have a friend who's like a huge Halloween fan. Mm-hmm. But the first one he saw was part six. And it still blows my mind. What enticed you to go watch other movies after watching that? Why would you ever even think about watching another Halloween movie? But... He's like, what? No, Paul Rudd. This is bullshit. <laughs> what do you mean he's not a druid zombie? <laughs> When do they introduce that? They they really don't ever. Did <laughs> <laughs> you watch anything else, Noah? Uh, nope, nope. That was him. <laughs> I chewed up all the time. What about you, Doug? 
Um, okay, a couple things. Uh, first thing, we're going opposite end of the spectrum here. Uh, Irish zombie movie called The Cured. You guys heard of this one? No. So, picture this. it's There's a, a zombie outbreak. They are able to contain it, right? So, Ireland is one of the worst hit places. But after it happens, they're able to cure the virus that causes zombification. And that this cure works in 75% of all cases. So where our society picks up, or our movie picks up, is in an Irish society where former zombies who have full memories of everything they did while they were zombies are being re-released into the world. And like, okay, go get a job now and live your life. Uh, The world is only partially accepting of them many thinking that they should just be held accountable for their crimes regardless of the fact that they were zombies when they committed them and to top it off the government is trying to figure out what to do with the 25% of people who were zombified and for whom the cure does not work so they've got them all like trapped in these containment centers and they're like what do we do now that's the world that this movie is set in Uh, basic storyline is about so Ellen Page plays an American reporter who is stuck in Ireland because she has an Irish son and she's not allowed to bring him back to the US. The US isn't accepting any foreign-born individuals for fear of bringing the zombie outbreak there. No social commentary there whatsoever. I'm sure that's just a weird coincidence that that was happening in the news at the same time as it was happening in the movie. Um, and so it's her brother-in-law who gets out and there's all sorts of plot lines about you know he killed her brother but she doesn't know that she eventually finds out how do you deal with that uh, all sorts of interesting twists like that um super good movie like like really good really intelligent well thought out movie pretty slow paced so a lot of people who are into modern zombie movies might not might have a problem with that but i really liked it it was it was very very thought-provoking, I guess, which is something that zombie movies used to be and haven't been for a long time. So I was super happy to see that somebody took an interesting new and original stance and really made like a quality film out of it. I was just shocked the name Ellen Page came up. I haven't thought about her in forever. Apparently she makes movies in Ireland now? I don't know. (laughs) I feel like she came out of the closet and then all of a sudden, like, I didn't see her anymore. Is that what happened? I don't know. That's what it felt like. I don't know. I sometimes rewatch old episodes of Trailer Park Boys, so I see her relatively regularly. <laughs> I didn't even know she was on that show. <laughs> yeah, that's where she got her start. Interesting. Well, so yeah, I like it might be pretty good. It's it's really it's really an interesting movie. It's much more high level than stuff we normally talk about here. Um <laughs> But it was, uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed. Like, there's, like, there's scenes where she figures out that her brother-in-law, who's now living with her, killed her husband, and she has to kind of like deal with that. Like, oh, like, yeah, you were a zombie. You had no control over yourself whatsoever at the time. Okay, well, how do you process that? Do you, how do you forgive that? How do you pretend that it's not their fault? 
it's it's a weird thing. And the other like another interesting subplot is so this guy, I wish I could remember names of characters so I could refer to them, but this guy who's being released, he's being released at the same time as another friend, and so our sort of main character guy, he's just completely tormented about everything he did when he was a zombie. Like he can remember eating people and shit and he's it's really like destroying him as a person, as you would expect. But then his friends kind of go in the other way where he's just sort of learned to just, hey man, it wasn't me. I, I don't think I should be held accountable for that. I was out of my control. So I should just be allowed to move on with my life. And we get scenes of him like, because he's, he's been assigned a job as like a janitor or something. And he's going, well, I was a fucking lawyer before, so I don't see why I shouldn't get to go be a lawyer now. And it raises interesting questions of like, if these people are not legally accountable for what they did, then why aren't they just allowed to go back to their old life? It's not like, he, you know, it's not like the world doesn't need him back in that thing. And it's, I, I found it very thought provoking. So hmm. I was really happy I watched it. I just stumbled across it on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have access to it there or not, but. Um, sounds familiar. I'll double check. You probably skipped over it because Ellen Page in it and you don't like her anymore. And she's <laughs> so. That's definitely not the truth, but. <laughs> Say cured? Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, it is not on Netflix here. Yeah. Well, it's a small win for me then, isn't it? <laughs> Cargo shows up though, which is good. Cargo was good, yeah. That's another one that was just a, a different take on this classic genre that I think is... Mm. It's kind of neat that zombies have gotten to the point, and I guess it's The Walking Dead that did it, where people are willing to take risks and do kind of newer and original storylines, and even if you have to go to foreign movies to see it, that's mm. fine especially since it's foreign movies that are shot in English. So you just have to work your way around some accents. Yeah. Kind of funny that they took Ellen Page, who's a Canadian actress, and they had to find an excuse to have her stuck in Ireland, and so they made her American. So I was like, oh, that's... Could have just said she's Canadian. But whatever. Then I guess they maybe they were using it for that political commentary that they were not so subtly edging in there, so... Well, maybe they weren't hoping for an American market, too. Like, if they make yeah. her Canadian, none of them, the Americans, are going to watch it. Yeah. Because they all think Justin Trudeau's weak on uh, immigrants or some nonsense bullshit. Oh, gee, that the weak on immigrants thing would play right into the, the, the commentary they were using with her, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's a big recommend for me, uh, keeping in mind that it's it's not one of these zombie movies where you're going to get a gory, bloody scene every two minutes. It's, I mean, it's former zombies sitting around talking during much of it, which is, I found interesting. The very concept of a former zombie was, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie with former zombies in it before. So. Hmm. No, not that I can think of. Can't. That, that terrible one. Be more specific. Gonna, you have to be more specific than that. <laughs> the stupid one where they did Romeo and Juliet, but with zombies, and all the zombies unzom yeah. at the end. Warm bodies? Yes. Okay. I really watched it. Yeah, I don't. I, did, I didn't know that's what it's about, but that makes me want to watch it less. Yeah, it, it's bad. That's a bad movie. Yeah, I don't I I didn't see it. I'm not going to see it, so I won't comment on it. <laughs> I don't we spent, I spent a lot of time just kind of babbling there and hoping you guys were still listening. So, 
Did you watch anything else? Uh, yeah, just one other thing. I finally, you know, it's, it's been it's been on the on the to watch list enough years that I finally got around to the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, I was looking for something that kind of had Stanley involvement that was sort of grindhousey enough that it felt like I should be watching it the day before we podcasted. <laughs> that's what I came up with. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about it. You say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll. Just, I mean, I'll just say honestly, I probably never should have watched this movie. Oh, I should have. I should have just left it being what it was. Um, I was super entertained for a few minutes watching the, the the bad special effects, and then I spent a lot of time looking at my phone and wondering why I didn't watch something different. So <laughs> it's the movies. the The story about the movie is more interesting than the movie. I'll say that. So, have you watched the documentary? Yeah, I think we talked about it on the show a long time yeah. ago. Sounds right. It was. It was. It's a really interesting story about the making of the movie and kind of tragic in some ways what they did to those poor actors, <laughs> <laughs> lying to them and not telling them they were being in a real movie. But uh, yeah, the actual movie is. It looks like it looks like a Fantastic Four movie made for a million bucks by people who never intended to release it. And I, I suppose. <laughs> per se one out of three people that's a good selling feature but for the rest of us it's not man but in in some ways it's such a fucking good fantastic four movie <laughs> told you one out of three <laughs> i've still never seen it so i have no commitment one way or the other it's a, it, it's the most doctor doomy doctor doom that's ever been put on screen I accept that, but it's still <laughs> terrible. Like that's not. There's a Fantastic Four cartoon from the '90s. I bet you it is a more accurate representation than this movie is. I'm not. I'm not saying that's wrong. <laughs> but when it comes to live action, it's that the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie is, for all intents and purposes, if you. Uh, Break it down on a technical level, a shit-tastic pile of shit. The special effects are not bad. They are fucking ridiculously bad. And the acting is not bad. The acting is fucking train wreck bad. (laughs) But as far as the construction of the story, the actual, like, plot, and I'm not talking about the dialogue, but the plot, like, and the treatment of who the characters are is all as close to fucking the comic books as you get. Like, they they nailed the soul of the movie, the, the, the characters and stuff, without managing to make a good movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> Now that Disney owns Fox, do you think they'll finally release that on DVD properly? I my guess would be whenever the Fantastic Four remake comes out, which is fucking inevitable, it will be a special feature. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> It'd be a good way to drive up sales for the other yeah, home video release. You know what? I actually think there's a, a giant market of people who would buy this movie. I don't think there's a giant market of people who would watch this movie. But there's a lot of people who would just want it on their shelf. I need this bitch on 4K. 4K <laughs> <restoration>. <laughs> mm. 
Does it make that one season of Arrested Development funnier now? I don't watch Arrested Development. I don't think... Yeah, I think the Arrested Development jokes were all already funny. (laughs) Tobias goes to some support group and finds supposedly the actress that played uh, Sue Storm in this movie, and they talk a lot about the Corbin movie in that season of Arrested Development. Yeah, and he's dressed up in a thing costume for a while, and... (laughs) But I knew enough about the reputation of this movie to make all that funny before. My favorite thing about watching this movie this time was when I was bored watching it, I flipped over to the Wikipedia page, and somebody has updated Wikipedia page to show that Mercedes McNabb played Sue Storm in this movie. Now, if you know who she is, she's from Buffy and other shows, and she was about 14 when this movie was made. So it makes no sense that she would play Sue Storm. And she clearly didn't. And that's somebody weird. Put, somebody put that on Wikipedia, and I found it funny. And I'm like, is, I, like I clicked on the name. I'm like, is that a weird coincidence? She doesn't play the young version of Sue Storm from the beginning of the movie. I don't think so. Mm. Now we're all curious. You guys can keep looking it up if you want. Also, fun fact: uh, Mercedes McNabb shows her boobs in the movie Hatchet. She was in Playboy once. I learned that by going to her Wikipedia page by clicking on the <laughs> <laughs> link from the Fantastic Four Wikipedia page. Uh, she, in fact, does play young Susan in the Fantastic Four. Oh, there you go. This was a year after she was in Adam's Family Values. I remember her from that, of course. And she was also on an episode of Harry and the Hendersons, the TV series. Anybody else watch that, or was that just me? Yeah, I, I, I don't recall watching the TV series, even though I really loved the movie. <laughs> I think even as a kid, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, I'll watch the TV show, and I'm like, but it's not the same people from the movie, and Mm-hmm. But they're acting like they're the same people, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think it just confused me more than anything. All right, anything else? No, that's all I had time for in our shortened time period between yeah. recordings. Some stupid person has to go on vacation for the weekend. <clears throat> uh, let's see. So I watched the 1983 movie Vigilante. The Robert Forrester. Okay. Fred the Hammer Williamson. That's been on my watch list for a while, too. Uh, so basically take, like, Death Wish, and then uh, instead of make, instead of one person killing uh, thugs or whatever, just make it a group of them. Okay. And that's basically what this movie is. Uh, Robert Forrester works for... I can't tell if he's, like, an auto mechanic... Like, he works with all these guys, and they work at a garage, and they're constantly, like, grinding stuff, so there's sparks all over and everything. But I don't know what they're actually doing in the movie. That doesn't matter. No. Um, So, in their off time, all the other guys seem to go out and rough up hoodlums in the neighborhood. Uh, But the police can't pin it on them, of course. Um, And then... Robert Forrester's wife gets into an altercation with some a gang of thugs at a gas station. And of course they follow her home and then break into her house and severely injure her and then and then completely like shoot their kid with a shotgun, which is pretty fucking crazy in this movie. And kill him. Um, and then through some weird technicality, uh, they're able to get off so they don't even serve any jail time. They get convicted of absolutely nothing. 
So Robert Forrester gets super pissed and starts yelling at the judge. He ends up getting 30 days for contempt of court. <clears throat> so he's spending time in there, uh, getting roughed up and stuff. And basically when he gets out, the guys are waiting for him. They basically tell him, like, let's find these guys and get revenge for what they did to your family. And so that's pretty much like the rest of the movie. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's 1983. It's like this grimy. I don't even know if they're. Yeah, they're. Te- I think technically they're in New Jersey, but there is just shots in New York and stuff. But yeah, it's good times if you just want to watch Fred Williamson and other people just beat up uh, random thugs. Uh, just uh, this is definitely the movie for you. So high recommend for me. I had a good time watching it. All right. It sounds like something I really enjoy watching just because I like watching people get killed and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing like super crazy or anything. Like I said, it's just Death Wish with a group instead of one vigilante. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. Uh, let's see. Oh, then I watched a movie called Edge of Sanity with... Anthony Perkins. Um, This one's interesting because it literally is just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, that's his name's Henry Jekyll. He takes some weird stuff, which seems to be like he's smoking crack, essentially, and turns into Mr. Hyde. But the twist is... Uh, when he's Mr. Hyde, he attacks a bunch of ladies of the night, and then in the newspaper the next day, they proclaimed him Jack the Ripper. So it's sort of a twist on mixing Jack the Ripper and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde together. Uh, it's okay. It just kind of, I mean, it's a mid 90s film, so it's just kind of a weird. It's just, it's a mid 90s film, that's all. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's set, supposed to be set, like, around, you know, when the actual Jack the Ripper murders happened, whenever that was. Um, so they all dress like it, but then at night, when he's all in Mr. Hyde mode, he just looks like a 90s arch snob. <laughs> with, like, a black shirt on with a scarf and stuff, and just wandering around town and going to this weird, like, sex club that... I don't even know how to explain it. But there's lots of like, okay, during the day, it's just everybody's sort of, you know, gray and beige clothes and stuff like that. And then at night at these sex clubs or whatever, there's lots of like pink and red and stuff like that, which I don't think those colors were very prominent back then. And I know it's stylistic, stylistic choice and it's like, it's a fucking movie, just don't worry about it too much. But it's just kind of jarring to watch. It's, it, it's very 90s. That's how it feels. Yeah, I've, I've seen it, and I think it was... I remember thinking, it's like, oh, yeah, right, this was made at a time when you know, Quentin Tarantino was lauded for having great dialogue, and you look back on it and go, yeah, but nobody talks like that. And it's like, okay. Like, this is... it's They're making those decisions to have people dress that way, and you can say, well, yeah, nobody dressed that way, but Okay, fine, whatever. Winter yeah. said it was going to be realistic. It's a movie. <laughs> um, I remember liking it just because I thought it was a neat way to combine the two stories. Mm-hmm. And I thought Perkins' performance was good in it. 
I was going to say, I don't feel like the movie's like super good, but I think Anthony Perkins' performance is really good. Yeah, that's, that's what I remember from having seen it. It was one of the, it was, it's literally a movie I got as a gift one time from like a family member who was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to buy you things. So <laughs> I went to like Walmart and this is a horror movie. If you don't already have it, here you go. And I was like, okay, good enough. I'll go put that in. I'd never heard of it. It was handed to me. I'm just like, I own this now. I better watch it. <laughs> it turned out to be like, I ended up enjoying it. So I was like, glad it happened. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his his performance is sort of the duality of Jekyll and Hyde and stuff that I think is actually done really well. Uh, like I said, the movie's just okay, but if you are a fan of Anthony Perkins and want to see him do something other than Psycho, which most movie fans already do, but for those that only know him as Norman Bates, like it's an interesting movie to go watch and be like, oh shit, like he... He's actually a really good actor outside of the thing we already know him for. Uh, I actually have it from our good friends at Screen Factory who put out a double disc of that and another movie he was in called Destroyer, which I've never seen. So that may end up on my next next watch to see if his performance is good in that one as well. Um, And then I guess the last thing is I finished Daredevil Season 3. Which, uh, has everybody here seen it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. That was really good. I keep seeing some people say it was probably the best season. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but uh, it was very good. Yeah. I don't think the fight scenes were as good as the first season. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed. I I just thought it was an, a decision they made to have him be as good. Um, so like, I think I think I mentioned this last week where I think they had him change his fighting style to account for the fact that he's. Mm-hmm. Not capable of doing the things he did in the first two seasons. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting element of it. Now, that's going to just be a matter of opinion whether you enjoy watching those fights as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought the uh, uh, the uh, I don't know. I guess somewhat spoiler. The, the guy that is essentially becomes Bullseye at the end. Yeah. I thought he did a good job. He was fucking nuts. He was crazy. I, I loved the moment where he showed up when there's like that car crash scene and you see him like he's, they're shooting at each other and everything and all of a sudden you just see the one guy throwing shit and you're like, oh, I know where this is headed. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that's who that was. Okay, well, now we know. I wonder how that's going to play out. I don't know if they lifted that storyline from the comics of him being like an FBI agent and then going and working for Kingpin and all that. Um, That'd be a Noah question. I don't... There's... The problem is there's like 15 different versions of him in the fucking comic books over the years. I don't don't recall him being a FBI agent. But the funny thing is the weird shit that they worked in with the baseball and him killing somebody, that's canon. Okay. Although it wasn't his coach. It's he, he joined like Major League Baseball and got bored and just beat a batter and killed him. Alright. And then I think was it him being paralyzed was something within the last like decade or something? Yeah. yeah, and and the the doctor who's working on him, they say his name 
that's mm. comic book stuff. Yeah, isn't he the one responsible for Wolverine's? He, he, yeah, whatever? yeah, he's he's the doctor who invents the uh, procedure for bonding in Vantium to Bone. Mm. Yeah, and then I thought I read that. Yeah, the way they unparalyzed him is fusing his spine together with adamantium and whatever. Yeah. So, all comes around. Uh, I thought the Kingpin stuff was very interesting because it's yeah. basically like we're just going to talk about Donald Trump without actually saying Donald Trump in this. There's a lot of it. <laughs> I was I was a little disappointed that Daredevil doesn't break his legs. Yeah, because that's really what I was waiting for this season. <clears throat> he just has enough, and he's like, "Fuck it." Well, I just love the commentary that this whole time Matt's like, I want to go kill him. I want to go kill him. And Fozzie keeps telling him, like, or, yeah, Foggy. What did I say Fozzie? Waka Waka, I guess. Uh, Foggy keeps telling him, like, no, there's just trust the system. Trust it. It will take him down. And then, like, every time someone tries to trust the system, like, he just finds a way to worm his way out of it. And it's just like, suck the bitch. I'm like, this is exactly it. Everybody's just like, oh, Trump's going to get in trouble for something. Just you wait, it'll happen. And then, like, it never happens. No. It's... Yeah. Let's, just say, let's put it this way. They were not subtle about what they were talking about this season. No, I don't, I don't think they were subtle. Uh, although I don't think they... They weren't heavy-handed either. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can just yeah. sit back and enjoy this as a comic book story, and I think it's... Mm. It works on that level. Like I'm sure if I told Amanda this because we watched it together, she would be like, "Oh, I didn't even, didn't even realize that's what they were talking about." But now I see it now that you pointed it out. <clears throat> yeah, enjoyed it. I'm curious. I'm excited to see because I know they finished shooting Punisher season two, and I'm kind of hoping that Bullseye moves over to face the Punisher at some point. I know they had a, they've always had a pretty good back and forth in the comics. That could be interesting with these versions of those characters. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like praying that this stuff isn't over. Mm-hmm. It's too good and I don't want it to end. And, you know, I know that some of the lesser shows have been canceled, but hopefully Daredevil can at least keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the big problem is that it's, uh, is it follows the Netflix model of like let's just dump everything and then people binge it. Yeah. Because then it feels like forever before you get a new season. And I'm almost wondering if people start getting bored because it hasn't been around for almost a year or even more, depending on which show it is. Yeah, it's so hard to understand how audiences work. Mm. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand how Netflix works either. Well, they they work by convincing people that one day they'll make tons of money, so then more people will invest more money in them, and then they pay all their top executives big salaries based on that. I just. I wish they would treat streaming shows the same way that like gambling companies and loot box games and things like that treat people. That they just uh, cater to the people that got that monkey on their back and need to Because then I'd be getting a Netflix show like every two months. Just every two months. Marvel Netflix show. Give me a little more. Put it in my veins. 
Um, so, yeah, enjoyed it. If you haven't caught up with Daredevil yet, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Uh, I put uh, Iron Fist and Luke Cage to the side since they got canceled. I figured I could probably watch those at my leisure rather than have to binge them like Daredevil. I do still want to watch them. I just haven't. I figured since they're canceled, they weren't top priority for me at the moment. Uh, I've seen everything, and I like. Like, I have no problem with people saying Daredevil season three is the best yet. Yeah. Anything they've done, um, I don't think that's an offensive statement. <laughs> so, like, I definitely I have an if uh, I don't know an affinity towards Daredevil. I like that character. I always have. Um, so that helps. But mm-hmm. I think it's very well realized in this version. I. This, I think, is something else I said last week, though. I think all the side characters are also good, which is important. Mm. Like, uh, I forget the name of the the FBI guy that kind of gets dragged into the storyline this year. Like, he ends up being a really interesting character to follow. He's not really, like, he's you don't know who he is at the beginning of the year. You don't know who he is at the end of the year. He's not one of the villains. He's not one of the heroes. He's just a guy that's there to help move the plot along. Mm. But it works really well. It keeps the movie feels kind of grounded the way he's used. So. Yeah, the I mean they uh, they uh, yeah they just kind of throw him in here without any sort of agenda. Like well, we're going to show you how this guy like becomes evil because blah blah blah, and that's not really like the point. Like he just he is stuck in a hard situation. And he tries to make the best of it and then kind of yeah. gets really stuck in something, and then does everything he can to to fight his way out of it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I really liked his character too. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting how they how they uh, specifically Kingpin was able to sort of maneuver everything to his advantage. Even though I sort of saw some of it coming from a mile away, like as soon as he gets stabbed in prison, I'm like, oh, well, he totally paid that guy to stab him, so. I was going to say, the rollout that happens about three-quarters of the way through the season, where, you know, you, like that, you're, I think everybody catches those kinds of things, and you're, like, watching the surface stuff, and then you're catching little things, and you're going, ooh, you know, he's sneaky, but then they, like, flip everything out there toward the end, and you're like, oh, shit, he had everything from the very beginning, like... <laughs> yeah. When the reveal comes that his... He's been moved into that apartment, and when the reveal kind of comes that he's the, uh, he's also bought the building through like various like holding companies and all that. And you're like, oh, all right, he's got this all this shit figured out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely want to see a season four. I still very much would like to see another Defenders series. I feel like the Defenders, the first one. I feel like it was just kind of cut short randomly. I mean, it was only eight episodes, so it definitely felt like it was cut short. But then the storyline even just kind of felt like it just ended out of nowhere. So I'd love to get more of that whole team together. The complete wasting of Sigourney Weaver in that show was a fucking travesty. I don't disagree with you. Basically, just cast so they could have that big uh, twist happen in the middle of the show. Uh, 
Good times. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, Noah, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Ah, uh, I remember that. <laughs> oh, now I feel better. I feel vindicated if other people are doing the same shit I did. We're doing uh, Dead Heat? Yeah, we're doing Dead Heat and uh, Full Eclipse. Uh, zombie Cop, Werewolf Cops. <laughs> Two great Mario, yeah, people's doing gun food. Yeah, I don't see what can go wrong. <laughs> Can't possibly be bad. I highly recommend to our listeners, if you guys don't watch the movies, you should at least watch that fucking full Eclipse trailer, because it's, it's fucking glorious. And yes, we know, we did not team up full Eclipse with Wolf Cop. You can blame that one on Noah. Wolf Cop's too new! It's too new! <laughs> I just don't understand how that's a criticism of a movie. We, we originally said... Post 2000. Post. I don't think we ever agreed to that. I don't remember it, but I don't really care one way or the other. I don't know. Next time it's my turn to pick. I know both movies will be from after 2000. Just to <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about. Why so mean to me? 2008, 2018, Halloween, and uh, Get Out. <clears throat> Not sure exactly what the theme is, just whatever, <laughs> whatever upsets my co my co uh, hosts. What was the theme for this episode? Was it just made for TV movies? Made for TV movies that sort of had a horror element to them. That... I think there was a joke about uh, gargoyles are in fact a bad guy that you fight in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> If, if we were clever and or good at this, we probably would have made that joke in the middle of our discussion. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like that we're at the end of the show. You just asked me what the theme for the week is. Well, I meant to ask you that earlier. I completely forgot. And now bringing up the, the theme for Get Out on Halloween would be, I don't know. I was like, oh, shit, yeah. What was the theme for this week? I meant to ask Doug that. I mean, really, plus with all the weird religious crap they decided to smash in at the beginning of Gargoyles, it kind of fit into the satanic panic model, too. It did. You yeah. don't know this, though, but it used to be like half of our previous podcast was just us discussing how the theme tied into last week's movies and how there was secondary themes to our show and very little analysis <laughs> of the actual movies. <laughs> Yeah, now we just phone it in every week. It's fine. Welcome to the Seven Steps to Kevin Bacon podcast. <laughs> we just pick a movie and break down in detail how it's connected back to Kevin Bacon. I feel like ever since the game came out, it's even easier now. Well, I think now he just makes movies on purpose to connect to more people. Yeah. <laughs> not sure if that's entirely true, but I'm willing to go with it. I also do want to mention although this is way past our discussion of mazes and monsters because I again forgot um, that uh, <laughs> just, just on a whim I went on Twitter and just posted I wonder if we can get Tom Hanks to cut to do it like an hour of Dungeons and Dragons over Skype 
and we just ask him exclusively questions about mazes and monsters, <laughs> if he would be down for that. And of course, I tagged him in it because I figured that's just a weird, random enough ask that he seems like the type of person that would be like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'd do that. Why not?" But he hasn't responded. He's not gonna. No. <laughs> He's got more important things to do, but see, see, whatever you were saying, this I was waiting for you to say something weird, like Tom Hanks replied with just a a winky emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I I also tagged him in the Instagram post about the, the well, oh. we just hoping that he'd just like it. That's all I was. Hoping. Well, there you go. So I thought maybe he had a guy or a, like a girl that worked for him that just went through and liked posts that he was tagging. <laughs> he does not apparently. So. <laughs> Yeah, because it just seems like it would be a weird, random enough thing for him to actually want, actually say he would do it. I don't, I don't but, see uh, why you think that about him. Yeah, he's a nice guy. I'm sure, but he I'm sure he's also like, I ain't got enough time for that bullshit. Which would be fair. It's not even like the best thing he was doing. Like He was also on like Family Ties in a guest starring role <laughs> like around the same time. Like That's probably what he looks back a little more fondly on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Played Alex's drunk uncle. Punched him at one time. And look, I'm not hard to please. Like, if he just replied with the winky face, like Noah said. That's I'd almost be like, better. I'd be like, that's fantastic. We can just stop doing the podcast. I've achieved everything I wanted to in life now. I, actually, you know, the best the best would be if he just replied, just no. Just, just no, no, it, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just be like, oh, thank you for taking the time, Mr. Hanks. You, you become the first person that Tom Hanks is mean to. He's like, hey, you're fucking kidding, right? <laughs> He's just like, no. Like, like three exclamation points and like an angry, angry emoji. And then like two hours later, I get an apology from him. He's like, look, I'm sorry. I was just, I was having a bad moment. I just like the I like it better. Just his lawyers just show up at your door with like some kind of an injunction. You're not allowed to tag him anymore. <laughs> I just like to imagine that we would have he'd say yes, be on there, and then I could just interrupt every five seconds to go completely off topic and ask him about when he was in. Uh, he knows when you're alone. <laughs> I was told I was going to exclusively be asked about mazes and monsters. <laughs> you like, how, how did you prepare? For the for your role in that movie. Hey, I just uh, I just found a copy of He Knows You're Alone this week, and I plan to watch it soon, so don't spoil anything. <laughs> uh, I once talking about just getting like a response from like a, a celebrity of some sort. I once uh, sent Bruce Campbell an email, and this is back when he just had a like beat Campbell at AOL email address. <laughs> Because uh, I read his first book, If Chins Could Kill. Yeah. And he like breaks down how they raised money to make Evil Dead in that in that book. So I just sent him a quick email. And I was just like, I just want to say thank you for actually breaking down how you guys raised money. Because it's like, as a hopeful filmmaker or whatever, they always, every time I read these books, they just say, oh yeah, you raise your money and then you go make your movie. And they never explain how, but you did. And I just wanted to say thank you. And the next day, I woke up and I got a response from him that just says, "You're welcome. Now get to work." Yeah, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> so, so I have it saved somewhere. Like I will never delete that email, but no, it's the, it's the best thing ever. That's fantastic. 
Uh, let's see if I can find it and post a screenshot. That's one of the things that's like from back in the day, if you uh, tried to contact a celebrity on the internet, you actually could, because not that many people knew how yet. <laughs> it was like, I mean, yeah. there's all the famous stories of like Kevin Smith, for example, is like friends with people he met on his own website. <laughs> and it's like weird things like that. And you're like, oh, that can't happen now because there's like 5 million people posting anywhere. People are getting yeah. 10,000 emails a day. It's like, well, you know, people are so squirrely about leaving any type of uh, contact like you can't find any contact information for fucking anybody anymore i was gonna say this was back on the day on bruce campbell's website it was just contact bruce campbell just just bam, bam. and i think i've gone to his uh to his uh signing or whatever for the original for the book and he did q a's and i think he talked about it, like yeah i get i just answer all the emails that come in on my website through my website or whatever. Can you imagine he gets now, though? Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, it's not not their fault that they can't answer them all. Like... <laughs> uh, let's see. Which I actually remember the uh, password for my old email address. Now I just got to figure out where the fuck I stored this email. You have to figure that out. Do you feel like the listeners are going to suddenly believe you if you find it and you still can't show it to anybody? Oh, no. I'm just doing it for myself now. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.